Wow. Today, I, I want to pick up where we left off last week. Um, Jesus came through Jericho. He healed blind Bartimaeus of his blindness and, and, and he gloriously saved Zacchaeus. He left Jericho and went into Jerusalem for his last time. It's the third year of Jesus' ministry, and he enters, he enters Jerusalem triumphant, uh, riding on a colt, the, the foal of a donkey, as a conquering king. And they sing to him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a precursor because he's coming back to Jerusalem again. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he presents himself as the, the sacrificial lamb, the paschal lamb. And as is the custom, the paschal lamb is selected uh, before the Passover on that same day that Jesus comes in. The paschal lamb is selected and then it's set aside because you see that lamb has to be without blemish. And they have to look at that lamb. They have to examine that lamb every day to make sure that nothing new has happened, that it has the perfect lamb. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he became, begins to be examined by the scribes and the Pharisees. And they try to tear him apart. And they try to find some blemish in the Messiah, but they find none. And then, as we look in Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 37, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those sent to her. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Baruch Hababa Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said that of him on Palm Sunday. They'll say it again when he comes back. When he comes back. Chapter 24. Now when Jesus went out, he was going away from the temple. And his disciples came up to point to him the temple and its buildings. I want you to get the word picture here. I want you to see the scene. They're in Jerusalem. The magnificent temple is standing there. The temple that, that Cyrus called, uh, allowed them to come back and build, and then uh, the temple that's remodeled by Herod the Great. 46 years it was in the building. They were still working on it. It was magnificent. And the disciples are standing there 
and they're looking toward the temple, and Jesus is coming out of the temple. Jesus is walking toward them, and they look at him. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, the one who healed the blind. The one who, who, who comforted the brokenhearted. The one who, who brought the message of healing and joy to the masses of people who were, who were broken. The one who proclaimed the day of the Lord. And they look at Jesus and they look past him. And they see stones and mortar. They're looking at God. And they say, God, did you notice this beautiful building here? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? They were focusing on the building and not the builder. Would that ever happen to us? I think so. I think so. I think that there are, there are so often when we, get, when we get focused on the stuff that's going on around us and we miss that Jesus is in our midst. Jesus interrupts their thinking. He brings them back to reality when he said, I tell you, you see all these things? Amen. I tell you, not one stone will be left on top of another. Every one will be torn down. Wow. He said, don't focus on the temporal because it's temporal. <laughs> It's not going to last. That means the good things about this world, they're not going to last. But that also means the bad things about this world, they're not going to last. And so Jesus then goes to the Mount of Olives, and he sits down to teach them. Now, you'll remember that the beginning of the book of Matthew, Jesus ascends to the mountain and he begins to speak to them, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. This time, Jesus ascends to the Mount of Olives. Oh, by the way, that's where he's coming back to. Is that significant or not? He sits down to teach them about his coming in the very place that he's returning to. And he begins to teach them the 24th and 25th chapters of Matthew, which was called the Olivet Discourse. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He's told them that the temple is going to be destroyed. They say, when? And oh, by the way, because they get it. 
they understand that he's talking to them more about, about more than just stones and mortar. He's talking to them about the return of the king of kings. And so they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What's Jesus conveying to them? The message that he gave and the message that I'm sharing with you today is twofold for two different people. For those of us who know Jesus, who are looking forward to his coming, for those of us who have asked Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, it's a message of comfort. It's a message of comfort. Just like the, what the Holy Spirit said to us earlier today when, when, when he spoke to us through our servants. It's a message of comfort. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to sweat it. But to anyone who's not prepared, to anyone who is, is not ready for Jesus to come, it's a message of warning. And Jesus answered them, be careful that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must happen, but it's not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are the beginning of birth pangs. And then they will hand you over to persecution and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And then many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. The first thing that he says is don't be deceived, be assured. Don't be deceived. You see, Satan, the enemy of our souls, is a deceiver. And from the very beginning, he is a master of deception. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, when Satan came to Eve, and he said, has God really said? Has God really said? And he begins to bring doubt, and then he begins the deception. And he points out to her the fruit. And the Bible says that when Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eye, and it would taste good, and when she saw that it was desirable to make one wise, she ate. Satan hasn't changed his tactics a bit. 
It's still about what looks good and what tastes good and what makes us look good and taste good to others. Hasn't changed a bit. And so when Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter uh, 4 and, and, and the devil appears to him and begins to test him, he uses the same tactics. He tries to deceive him. He tries to get him to turn a stone into bread because he's hungry. He tries to get him to fall down and worship him so that, that he could have all the kingdoms of the world that he showed him. And he tries to get him to jump off of the pinnacle of the temple and make this grand entrance. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus tells them and he tells us because, you know, this really didn't apply much to them. It wasn't going to affect them, but it affects us. And, and, and when Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives and he begins to teach, I, I picture him with a faraway look in his eyes. I picture him looking beyond his audience. I picture him as looking beyond and seeing today what I see. I picture Jesus looking at, at you and saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What's deception all about? Well, James chapter 1 tells us about deception. By the way, we're studying James in the evening. Uh, if it's not your... Uh, your custom to come to Sunday evening service. Come join us. It's a great time. We're studying the book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15 says this, but each one is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth Death. Wow. Deception only works when people are selfish and when people want something for nothing. I remember when, when I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky, I was a hospital chaplain, and I got to, to meet a lot of trainees when I was there because it was easy to come to see the hospital chaplain. Didn't have to have an appointment for him. And one day a guy showed up and he said, Chaplain, I want out of the army. And I said, really? Oh, yeah. He said, I've been deceived. Really? He said, yeah. He said, the recruiter told me that if I was smart, and I am, he told me that, that the army would send me to college right away. And if I would enlist, they would send me to college. And after I'd been in college for four years, then I could decide if I wanted to stay or not. And I said, well, did you believe that? Oh, yeah. He said, that'd be great. He said, that was wonderful. 
And I looked him square in the eye and I said, son, it seems like that you got exactly what you deserved. If you really thought that somebody was going to bring you into the military and that Uncle Sam was going to give you a four years of college free and then give you the decision if you wanted to do anything with it for the government or not, you were deceived, but you walked right into it, bud. Sounds to me like you got what you deserve. And that's exactly what happens when people are deceived. I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that, that when people are deceived, it's because they have walked right into it. Thought they would get something for nothing. Look what happened to Adam. You see, Adam was deceived. And you know how he was deceived? Because he thought his relationship with Eve was worth more than his relationship with God. He just grabbed right a hold. I'm going to go with Eve. To be deceived, one has to disbelieve God. To be deceived, one has to look for the easy way, like the stone turning into bread. Scripture says the path is broad that leads to destruction. To be, to be deceived, one has to allow his desire to become pregnant and give birth to sin. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus said that false messiahs and false prophets will show up. You'll know them by their lies, by their new and better way, and by their permissiveness of sin, especially their own. So what do we do about deception? Well, here I think we can take a lesson from those folks who deal with counterfeit money. You see, people who deal with counterfeit money, they don't, they don't try to figure out what counterfeit money looks like. They just get so familiar with the real thing. They are so familiar with a real dollar bill or actually a real hundred dollar bill. <laughs> People don't mess around counterfeiting dollar bills. They, they are so familiar with that that as soon as they see a fake, it just jumps out at them. It just jump, jumps out. People are, are deceived anymore. They, 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 someone says, oh, we found a lost book of the Bible. Guess what? They weren't lost. They went to file 13 and they dug them out. They weren't lost. They were discarded because people were so familiar with the real thing that when they read these deceptive, what we call in theological terms, pseudopigrapha, they rejected them. You see, you need to be so familiar with the real thing that you can't be deceived. And, and folks, the, the first step in being familiar with the real thing is this book right here. And you need to read it. Read it every day. And read it through every year. 
and read it and read it and read it again. I've been reading it through every year since 1990, sometimes twice, and I love it. And, and you've got to resist falling into studying the Word of God. Oh, sure, you need to study, but don't let your reading be distracted into study. Some people, as soon as they begin to read, they start chasing references. They start saying, wow, that reminds me of this. And they flip over here, and then they flip over there. No, don't let that happen. Do that another time. Do it. That's important. But read the Scripture cover to cover. Because if you read the Scripture, you're going to understand the heart of God. You're going to understand how God deals with people, how God is, what his values are. It's so important. And then it's important to adopt his values, to make sure that when you read, you see through his glasses, through his value system, so that you can be sure that you're interpreting correctly. And when you read, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to help you. You see, uh, it's also important to, to note those who go beyond Scripture. If they're sharing things that are more important than this book, they're not good. Nothing's more important than this book because it's the Word of God and it represents the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. The Scripture tells us to note those who uh, who indulge their own lusts and mock the promise of his coming. You see, the scriptures say that Paul and John and James, as a matter of fact, all of the authors of the New Testament encourage us, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The second thing is don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. Don't be alarmed. Be armed. You see, Satan wants to cripple us with fear. He wants to cripple us with fear. All of these things that are happening. Look at the world we live in. Oh, goodness. It's, it's kind of scary. If you watch the news... Sometimes I think that's a mistake. It, 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 it's scary. We see the very foundations, the very underpinning of our nation crumbling. We see things happening that we say, huh? I didn't learn that in civics class. That's not how it works. But it is now. There are people who are crippled with fear. And we, we're looking at values again. You see, it's, it's important to note what we're afraid of losing. Paul says uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, even death, nothing can separate us. He tells us that these are simply birth pangs. And, and, and it strengthens the word of God. And remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, he promised persecution to those who have his values. 
It's all about values. If we're living for Jesus, the world's going to be upset with us. And folks, if the world's not upset with you once in a while, maybe you better ask yourself, am I really living for Jesus? Am I really? Because you see, the, the scripture tells us that, that when we're marching to the same drummer that everyone else is, we'll be in step and we'll be unnoticeable. But you know, uh, I remember dad always telling me about the, uh, when he was marching, when he was in the Navy, he used to say they, they were always yelling at the guy beside him, but he said, I know it was me that was out of step. He said, I know it was me that my head was bobbing. Because that's what happens when you're, out of, when you're in a formation and one person's out of step, their head bobs. <laughs> if your head's not bobbing, maybe there's a problem. Rejoice when you're out of step with the world. We must be armed with God's sword of the Spirit, protected with the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. But there's another kind of fear. There's another kind of fear. It's a fear of failure. A fear of failure. Look with me. Matthew 24, begin reading with verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the chosen. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there will the vultures gather. Over the years, many false messiahs have shown up. Sun Young Moon was one of them said, it's, it's all about me. Look at me. I'm, I'm the Messiah. But you know, Jesus said, take comfort, because when the Messiah comes back, when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. It'll be a cataclysmic event. It will be from the east to the west. He says, be assured, if you see some vultures flying around, guess what? You look around, you're going to find a carcass. You're going to find a dead body because vultures don't circle unless there's a dead body. And, and he says, don't let anyone cause you alarm that you have missed the rapture or that you have missed the coming of the Lord because Jesus says it's, it's going to be evident. The second coming will be very, very evident. Thirdly, he says, don't be discouraged, but be active in your love. Satan had a going out of business sale. He rented the civic auditorium. 
huge place. He had all of his wares out, going out of business. Over here was lust. It was pretty pricey. And over here was fear. And, and it was also pricey. But in the middle of the civic auditorium, there was one thing that was so very, very pricey. It was the, the, the very centerpiece. It was up on a platform. And it was wedge-shaped. Wedge-shaped. And it was labeled discouragement. Satan wants to discourage you. He wants you to look around and say, oh, this world is such a mess. And there's so much hatred running around. And, and he wants you to, to, to respond in kind. He wants when someone does something bad to you, he wants you to respond with hatred as well. But folks, God's working in all of this. And I'll tell you what he's doing. He's taken away the gray area. He's taken away the gray area. It's, it's black and white. It's good and evil. It is pure and dirty. And, and the gray area, the middle ground, is no longer. And that line, that line of separation is, is cutting through denominations. It's cutting through families. It's cutting through nations. And there are people who have to decide, am I on the Lord's side or not? And what makes the difference is when you tighten down the screws. When you, when you make lawlessness reign, people, will, who, people of faith will hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Bible says... Jesus tells us that, that, this, that this hatred will discourage people, that, that it will destroy their love. And he says the love of many will grow cold. Have you seen it? We've been watching it. We've been watching people who profess to, to love the Lord actually allow themselves to be caught up in hatred. And I remind you, as I told you last week, love is not permissive. It has standards. Love is not reciprocal. It isn't based on whether someone loves you back. Love is not convenient. It isn't just when it feels good and is fun. No. Love. Love is that which took Jesus to the cross. It's resurrection power. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The fourth thing is 
Don't be distressed, but appreciative. Matthew 24, 13 says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's his criteria for success. It's not about how many, how much, how often. It's about faithfulness. It's about hanging in there. It's about continuing. Turn with me to Matthew 24, 45. It says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whose master finds him so doing when he comes. Amen, I tell you, his master will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is taking a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in two and assign his place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Faithfulness. Faithfulness proves our love. Faithfulness is so important. The 1st of July in 1997, I was in Walter Reed Army Medical Center as a chaplain, and I got a phone call, and it said my mother had a heart attack. And we traveled back, and uh, on the 2nd of July in 1997, she died. And uh, when, when we... Uh, we're back home, and, and we were gathering things together to, uh, to take Dad back to, uh, to Maryland with us. Uh, I, I picked up uh, a little red Bible that she had. It was a 365-day Bible. It was uh, uh, published by the International Bible Society, it was, and, and it was in uh, daily readings for 365. And I found the place marking. And the place marking was the day before she had her heart attack. She was current. She was current. She read her Bible through every day. And, and, and she was up to date. That's faithfulness, folks. To be up to date in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithfulness. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, the whole chapter is about people who were afraid that they had missed, that people were going to miss the rapture of the church. They were afraid that, that if they died, they were going to miss the resurrection. And, and, and Paul writes a whole chapter about that. And, and he assures them, no, no, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You haven't missed it. Just be faithful. Just keep on. And he ends with, with this scripture. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor 
is never in vain. What's the key here? The key, the key is truthfulness and thanksgiving. To continue to, to serve the Lord with all of your heart and to be thankful for what he has done. And what is the result of faithfulness? The result of faithfulness is, is found in, in Matthew 24, 14, where it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world, and then will the end come. I remember when I was a young man, long time ago, and people were talking about the second coming of Jesus, the rapture of the church. And you know what? I wasn't sure I wanted it to happen. I said, wait a minute. I got lots of things in front of me. I don't know. I, I really, I want to live a little bit. Well, let me assure you of something. The end of the age is living like you never thought about it before. That's really living. The end of the age is really living. It is so much better than anything that's ever happened before. Because you see, uh, I don't want you to be deceived. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Because as Eve and Adam decided that they were going to give away paradise, Jesus bought it back. And it's ours. And he's just about to open the door. And just about to say, come on in. All the preparation's been done. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you to join me to be where I am. And so what are we to do now? Well, we're to be witnesses. Or for our musicians that make their way to the platform. We are to be witnesses. I didn't say do witnessing. It's not about something that we're supposed to do. It's about being. Not deceived. Not alarmed. Not faithless. And not allowing our love to grow cold. It's all about keeping on, keeping on for Jesus. And folks... Like I said, when we watch the news, when we look at our world, when we look around, it causes us to wonder, what's all, what's all this coming to? And, and if sometimes you're a little apprehensive, a little scared, I understand that. I understand that. Because so much of what we have, we have thought was normal and good is, is really shaken. 
But the message that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 24 is a message of hope and a message of comfort and a message of joy. And it says, relax. Man, when you see these things happen, that just means that, that his coming is, is, is soon. And that means that he is opening up a culmination of 2,000 years of preparation. And he's doing it for us. Let's stand together, shall we? In the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, the scripture says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. The, the Hebrew word is aneloi. It means I am to him. It means that we are the bride of Christ. That, that, that we are his. That we are his. And, and we can't give ourselves to anyone else. And we can't give ourselves to anything else. We are to him completely, unreservedly. I asked you to, to make a commitment to the Lord today. To make a commitment that you want to be his. And if you're here and, and, and you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, if, if you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I want to be yours, and I want you to forgive me for my sins, it's all right for you to be scared. You should be. It's not a good place to be. I, I'm, I'm not a fear monger. I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to cause anyone to be uncomfortable because God says that. He says, if you don't know me, if you're not sure that I am your Savior, then you need to make sure. You need to make sure because you've been deceived and you're alarmed and, and you need my love. As we bow our hearts, our heads together, I'm wondering, is there someone here today, someone who would raise your hand and say, Pastor Black, I'm, I'm there. I, I need Jesus. I want to ask him to be my Savior today. I need him. You just slip your hand up, not for me to see, but for Jesus to see. He wants to know, and he wants to make you a new person today. Is there anyone like that? So with the lack of hands raised, my guess is that every one of us here would say, Jesus, I'm yours. And so I want you to make that commitment to him. I want you to make that commitment to him to say, I am yours. Absolutely, totally, without reservation, I am yours. I am my beloved, and I'll give myself only to him, and I'll be a witness. 
I'm looking forward to his coming. Lord Jesus, today, today we stand before you with our hearts open wide. And right now, we're receiving your comfort. We're receiving your well done. We're faithful, Lord. We want to be we want to be all in. We want to be yours totally. Lord, I I just I, I just thank you for people who want to never be deceived and not alarmed, but rejoicing in you. And so we do that. Hallelujah.